Welcome to the Ethos Podcast, where we chat about Web3 and how it applies to consumer brands. My name is Matias Marquez, and I'm the CEO of Ethos, a company that is on a mission to accelerate the world's mass adoption of digital assets by humanizing, simplifying, and facilitating rich experiences for brands and their customers. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Mickey, who's the SVP of Blockchain Partnerships at Dapper Labs. Dapper is one of the leading companies in the broader Web3 ecosystem, having created the first NFT project ever, CryptoKitties, as well as being responsible for other notable projects such as NBA Top Shot. Mickey brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the conversation, and we'll be delving into some of the most pressing questions surrounding Web3 and digital assets, including conversations surrounding sustainability, brands entering the blockchain space, and Dapper's Flow Blockchain. I hope you enjoy. Mickey, thanks for joining us. This is awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, we've been excited to have you on, and I can't wait to kind of get into it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get started right away. Uh, Mickey, why don't we start off with just your background and maybe even just before Dapper. Um, how did you, what were you doing before Dapper and, and how did that kind of lead into um, what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, just to talk about how long I've been in Web3 and in Dapper first and then how, how I got here. So uh, it's important to note that I've been at Dapper uh, five years, so very much in the nascent early days before NFT was even a, um, a term that was known um, in the mainstream or Web3 was even coined. So I'm, I'm very much a old school Web3 person. Uh, I've been handling partnerships at Dapper and now mostly um, with, you know, Flow and uh, our foundation, the Flow Foundation, um, handling platform partnerships there. Um, how I got here, it's kind of an interesting story if I do say so myself. Um, I started in this space and I'll, I'll define the space as consumer applications. Um, I've been in games, I've been in apps, I've been in web three. So broadly defined as, is consumer applications. Uh, I started all the way back in 2000. 7 2008 uh, with a very very small startup and that startup was building applications or actually was preparing to build applications on facebook when they announced that they were opening up their apis to third parties right wow. so uh, i was in that at that company in a lower level business development position prior to the facebook platform or the you know the social channels being open to third parties. So got there very early in a very experimental stage, pre-Zynga, pre-free-to-play gaming and all of that stuff popping up on, on, on Facebook. So I, I saw really the birth and, and the maturity of that platform from a games and apps perspective. And then obviously the, I was there uh, when the decline began, when Facebook kind of started to tighten the screws on, on, on stuff. And when I saw that, uh, well, you know, that company was um, actually acquired by American Express uh, during that time. And between, you know, the acquisition and um, the tightening of screws by Facebook, uh, I was looking for where the next growth platform would be. This was around 2011. That was obviously mobile. 
So I got into the mobile application space, not at the birth, but very, very early on. And I also saw, you know, kind of how that space materialized over time from almost the birth of it uh, all the way through maturity. Um, I was with a, with a company that was ultimately acquired by Unity Technologies. And I ran, um, I started what became Unity Ads at the startup and then ran Unity Ads at Unity Technologies for a number of years. Um, and then 2017 rolled around and, and a couple things happened at that point. Um, one, I started to become very, very crypto curious. So I curated my Twitter uh, to follow tons of crypto influencers. I was, I was learning about the space, exploring the space as I was interested in it. And, and at the same time, I was at a point where I was looking for the next growth platform. What was the next stage of my career? I've been through the Facebook growth. I've been through the mobile growth. I saw it kind of slowing down or plateauing around the 2017 timeframe. And um, that combined with, I started to see CryptoKitties pop up and surface a lot on my Twitter feed. Uh, I decided to look into that and explore that. And immediately when I explored CryptoKitties, pattern recognition set in. It reminded me very much of the early Facebook days with experimental apps, experimenting with what that technology offered it, and the early days of mobile, uh, experimental games and apps, experimenting with that hardware or exactly what that technology offered to games and apps. CryptoKitties right away sparked and said, this is a company doing the exact same thing as early Zynga, um, you know, uh, early Rovio, early Halfbrick and mobile, uh, Doodle Jump, et cetera. So uh, I, I decided to dive in and that was five years ago and, and here I am today. So interesting. And it's that's a very atypical career path, right? I mean, you've been early on, on several now. Um, what do you think it is about, like, is there something about you? Is there something about... Is it just luck? Like, what do you think has drawn you to these nascent industries that have grown? And, and just like, is it maybe is it an appetite for risk? Like, like I'm just trying to curate, I'm trying to think of like how you fell into so multiple scenarios here that are, that are very similar that way. Yeah, I, I would say the first one was almost purely luck. Um, but I'm also a pretty good networker and I, and I have a pretty good network. So I'm, somewhat able to, you know, uh, not make my own luck, but weigh, weigh the scales in my favor where I have, it, where is it just pure luck where I'm, you know, getting the opportunity to choose where I'm spending my time rather than just falling into it. But the first one was definitely almost all luck. Um, but even then, I, I just identified Facebook and the opportunity there as something that had the opportunity for substantial growth. Um, even though I was pretty ignorant in the space and didn't really know what I was doing, but I still had something that I, I could identify that there was a there there. But after that, it became uh, very much experience and pattern recognition combined with some luck um, that was that allowed me to choose these companies that ultimately became successful, right? 
there were also other opportunities that I wanted during these time periods that I ultimately didn't get, um, which were much lesser opportunities than, than the, uh, the opportunities I ended up taking. So there is a luck component where I could have, uh, you know, I identified a number of opportunities, a number of companies I could have worked for. Uh, the ones I ultimately ended up working for were successful companies. Uh, so there is a luck component, but there, there was also the component where I identified these companies as places that I wanted to explore and potentially spend the next X number of years of, of my career at. So luck, luck is, luck is always a component to everything. For sure. I'm a big believer in that. And, but I, and you're probably being a bit, um, modest. I mean, your contributions probably helped, uh, some of these companies be successful too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look like the CEO, I've not been a CEO. The CEOs always have an outsized contribution, uh, to the rest of the org. But, uh, I think any place that I've worked, the CEO would say I'm a significant contributor to that company's success. That's awesome. Yeah. Super cool. And like, you know, I, um, I've had a similar kind of career path so far where I, I really like being early on things. I like learning every day. I like participating um, in, in industries that are growing. Um, not that you can't make a great career doing other things, but I, I think it's, I, I get the allure and it's, um, it's, it's great to hear your, your, your story there. Um, so, so web three, so, so it, obviously through your pattern recognition and through your history, you've zoned in on web three. What's unique, special, and exciting to you, even just personally, and then maybe the business opportunity too, but, but around Web3 and yeah, I'd love to just to, to know that. Yeah. Um, that the market changes what's exciting about Web3, um, you know, almost every year, but from when I got into the space five years ago until now, my belief in my excitement, and I would say Dapper's excitement around the space hasn't necessarily changed at all. Um, you know, one, the one thing that I think that we're focused on that it hasn't necessarily reached the Web3 mainstream thinking yet or, or the zeitgeist yet is this concept of, um, I would almost call it like open sourcing IP, <laughs> where you, you've seen it in DeFi. So if you look at what happens on Ethereum with the, like the DeFi ecosystem, you have these core smart contracts or these core building blocks in which most, if not all, DeFi dApps or protocols are built on top of, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something we call composability, where there's a stand, there's a original smart contract that does X, and then apps build into that smart contract, then they do Y, and then other apps build into those smart contracts, and they do Z, and then it has this compounding effect and this platforming effect. We've seen it in finance, we've seen it in banking. Where we haven't seen it to a great extent is in content. Where someone, if you think of like, if Mario Brothers was built on a blockchain from, you know, take Nintendo out of it, just 
And yeah. the new IP forms on a blockchain called Mario Brothers. If it was built natively and open, like what Web3, the ethos of Web3 is supposed to be, then you would have third parties building things like Smash Bros. Yeah. And all of this content, these games, apps, companion apps that sit on top of the original Mario Brothers, built, borrowing game mechanics, borrowing characters, borrowing uh, metadata from the smart contracts, essentially hooking into that content, using it as a jumping off point to build your app. You have existing content, you have an existing audience. It's a great jumping off point for your content. And then if you look at that at scale, you know, you could see it, you know, three, four, five, six levels deep of where content is built on top of content is built on top of content. Yeah. That's the real, um, that's the real unlock here in Web3 is the composability and openness of smart contracts. We've seen it in finance. Uh, we haven't seen it with IP or content. And, I, and that's what we're really driving towards in anything that we do. Yeah, it's, it's, I get excited about the ability for contributors and collaborators. And I think that's like a huge part of what makes the Web3 special. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess the Web2 equivalent would probably be like, Social media made it so people could collaborate together kind of in a more limited way. Um, app stores kind of did, did that, but they were both kind of the, the platform and the foundation and they, they followed standards. I think, I think that's kind of like a big piece here. And I know um, Dapper kind of has the, like the mark on, on the first real standard on, on, on NFTs, which is the ERC 721 standard. Um, do you see like, so maybe just for the audience, um, is that what, like, maybe what, what, what's Dapper's bigger ambitions? And like, is it around standards? Is it around creating that platform? Our, our biggest ambition, and again, this has not changed since, you know, we existed and, and we formed the company in, in 2017, 18. We want to bring a billion users or billions of users into this space through games and entertainment, right? Um, we want to bring an open world and true ownership and composability to billions of users. The path to get there is rocky and unclear mm -hmm. and includes um, category making and writing yeah. standards and, and pushing this whole space forward um, and putting it on our backs and pushing it forward. But ultimately, everything that we do kind of goes into that goal of bringing billions of users into the space um, that we think ultimately benefits society in a great way. I mean, this is why we're so excited to be partnered with you with Dapper is because it is everything that like the approach you're taking is the approach that we 100% subscribe to, which is let's get a lot of people to, to participate. Let's, let's, I mean, like you guys are in, literally have created standards before and um, let's make it so others can stack on top of others and, and provide unique content and creations. And um, so it's a really exciting path, maybe just for the audience. So there's, there's Dapper and then there's flow. Um, what would be kind of your like one sentence description of like what Dapper's, focused on what flows focused on and, and then um, what kind of bridges the two together? Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty simple and there's an obvious misconception um, 
in the space or in, in the greater, you know, thinking uh, of developers or people paying attention to the space, there's a, a misconception that flow is not open, flow is not decentralized, it's a dapper chain. It's very easy to explain. Dapper is a studio that builds on flow. Flow is an independent, open, decentralized blockchain that was created by Dapper as a response to our frustrations of building on Ethereum. So many of the challenges developers have and many of the uh, negative aspects of Ethereum were experienced by Dapper building CryptoKitties on Ethereum five years ago. And Flow was meant to not only address a lot of those pain points, but essentially it was a first principles approach at if we were going to drive a billion users to a blockchain, what would that look like? Mm. And that's what we built from our deep knowledge of building in Ethereum and some of the challenges. You know, we, we did take a lot of good positive aspects from Ethereum, but mostly we said this technology, this chain has limitations. And the only response, unfortunately, that we had to address those was to create a blockchain that we felt comfortable building our next generation of apps on. It feels similar to, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but it feels similar to React coming out of Facebook. I mean, there, there are multiple web to corollaries to this. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it was such a nascent space. We built the first real content app with game, you know, game mechanics on Ethereum. We famously crashed it, bogged it down multiple times. So we just had the luck, I guess, and the foresight of being so early in the space that we experienced all that, that pain all the way back. And we addressed it very early on. Um, it's, un, uh, it's unfortunate that the market hasn't recognized this, but we're pretty confident now coming out of this wave where we have a lot more builders on Ethereum and a lot more projects, um, that those pain points and those limitations that they those builders felt on Ethereum will direct them somewhere else. Like we were directed all the way back in 2018 and to their benefit, there is now a place where they can build, where they can ultimately, if their goal is to reach mainstream, there is now a home for that where there wasn't when we were looking for that home. Yeah, and I think the proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, like we have projects running on flow and we love it and you know like specific especially the sustainability piece i mean there's a lot of really great benefits of uh, being on flow but i think people are going to see it and i think doodles is a good example i mean look at doodles they're a huge project and they've recently announced that they're now building on flow yep. anything that you can kind of share on, on kind of what drove such a big project to, to make the switch yeah it, it, it's pretty easy um again there's a lot of misinformation or misconception around why doodles uh, chose flow. Like there's a narrative that Jordan and, and, and other folks that are founders of doodles 
former Dapper Labs employees, right? That they just wanted to do Flow and Dapper a favor. That's why they came to Flow. It couldn't be further from the truth. What, what The truth is that the people sitting inside the organization knew what we had built, knew the intent of what we were building, and knew the power of what we were building. So when Doodles took a look at their business and they said, hey, we need to expand this to a mainstream audience. Uh, we need to widen the, you know, the user base outside of just 10,000 people because you can't necessarily build a business with 10,000 users. You need hundreds of thousands, millions of users. So they had the, a goal of kind of moving, you know, expanding their business, expanding their reach, expanding their IP, which is good for everybody in the Doodles community. The only choice when expanding their IP to millions of users was to build on Flow. And they knew that like inherently because they spent so much time understanding what we were building and the purpose of what we were building and the nuance of what we were building. That's why they chose Flow and, and no other reason. They just... I think the issue with a lot of other developers is they don't do the full amount of research in it. And, you know, I don't blame them because it's a lot of work and you have to take a lot of time to kind of pick through the different smart contract languages, um, how many nodes are being run, uh, in, in, you know, in, in each ecosystem in, in all the nuance that it would, you know, the nuanced research it would require to understand fully what each technology is capable of, right? Like, and Doodles knew it because they were here and basically absorbed it for many years while being here. So, you know, that, I, they could better answer the question than I, I, I could, but spending time with them and uh, talking to them about their choice of flow, et cetera, that essentially encapsulates um, their thinking around that. The narrative, though, that they would just pick a blockchain just because to do a friend a favor or whatever, that, that's silly, right? I mean, these people are highly intelligent, highly capable, sitting with very valuable IP. Um, I mean, all signs point to they did their homework and they chose a blockchain that made a lot of sense for the future of their business, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say there are developers out there that would probably choose a home um, that paid them the most, I, I would say that exists and that's why that's the assumed narrative. But I, I mean, Doodles is an extraordinarily serious company yeah. that raised a ton of money who has a very serious, uh, CEO who has a very aggressive and serious roadmap and ultimate goal. They're not going to choose the next home for their IP and project uh, because some protocol or some right. foundation paid them. It, it, it's right. yeah, or because they're doing someone a favor, right? Um, that's right. That's not how a decision of an organization like that unfolds.
That's right, one hundred percent. When when our clients look at the different the various blockchains and, and they lean towards Flow, uh, often and and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Often the the reasons as simple as just the, the sustainability factor. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I mean that's a huge, very important piece. And I think Bitcoin has a lot to blame for the you know all the all the negative views people have around sustainability. But I think they're fair. Um, what would you say when, when, when we're talking to a consumer brand and they go, hey, we're interested in doing this, but we're worried about the sustainability and the environmental impact of writing on a blockchain, um, what can you tell them about Flow and, and, um, and yeah, any data or, or partners that you use to kind of support the, those, those, um, those points? I mean, if sustainability is a question, which we knew it would be, um, Deloitte did a third-party audit of the Flow blockchain among uh, a few other major blockchains, including Ethereum Layer 2s. And Flow came out by far the most uh, environmentally friendly and sustainable blockchain. Um, You can find the data on the website, but essentially like something like 10 Google searches has more of an environmental footprint than one Flow transaction. So... Um, we've kind of quantified it that way. It's essentially the environmental impact of the full blockchain is negligible, especially compared to other everyday internet activities that everyone in the world participates in. Again, we, you know, you can look at it on the website. It's less than a Google search. Uh, it's far less than a YouTube video. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, very much negligible, especially compared to other online activities people engage in. Yeah, I know the amazing work that the team you guys are doing and, and Dapper's doing. I think that in that category of amazing work, I think the piece around sustainability has been so impactful. So like, thank you guys. And um, it really helps. And, and the fact that you get Deloitte, to, you commission Deloitte to create these studies, and then you can relate it to something as relatable as a Google search. And it's really funny, like nobody complains about a Google search. Nobody complains about a chat GBT search, you know, inquiry. But for some reason, um, when it comes to blockchains right away, it's like, well, this is bad for the environment. Um, and they kind of forget that there's other environmental impacts everywhere else. Um, do you think it's because of, of Bitcoin? I, I, that's what I think. Um, I, I do. But I also think like if you did a similar study on Bitcoin, the, I mean, I don't want to say the environmental impact is overblown, but if you put it in context of other things that we do every single day that people don't pay attention to, I think it would surprise people on how much the environmental impact or lack of sustainability of Bitcoin, um, I, I would say people would be surprised at like how it compares to other everyday activities. Um, but yes, it is because of Bitcoin. But it is narratives form in our world and people just run with the narrative. Bitcoin got a narrative of being very environmentally unfriendly. And then every other blockchain got lumped into that narrative. And then, you know, sometimes proof and facts don't necessarily matter when a narrative is overpowering um, reality. The good news, though, is that the facts are, and, and 
because of the work you guys have done and commissioned Deloitte, I mean, the facts are it's less than a Google search. And, and when it's uh, actually, it's actually, I, I'm, I just looked it up so I can speak intelligently. Yeah. One Google search is the equivalent of 12 and a half flow NFTs. One hour of Netflix is the equivalent of 325,000 flow NFTs. Wow. Driving one mile in your car is the equivalent of 1 million flow NFTs. So, there you go. Yeah. So the, the, the great news, it, it works, right? I mean, like whenever we get that objection, we walk our clients and our partners through that and they go, hey, like it's a non-issue. Um, so yeah, thank you guys. And thank you for, um, for pointing that out. Um, maybe I'll just kind of shift over a little bit because the, I want to talk about the Ticketmaster partnership. Sure. Um, everybody, you know, when you talk about Web3, you talk about NFTs, tickets, tickets, tickets always come up. Yeah. And Ticketmaster is on Flow and, 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 and partnered with, with Dapper. I'm curious just to how that came to be and just kind of some headline kind of uh, benefits that are, are coming out of that and, and, and what that means for the whole industry, really. Yeah. Um... I don't know what it means for the whole industry, but Ticketmaster has minted more NFTs on Flow, um, I think, than any other NFT project in the world, even, you know, Flow or beyond Flow, right? So wow. uh, essentially, so the way you need to, again, think about us is we're trying to bring Web3 to the masses. Everything we do kind of dovetails into that goal. So if you're attending an event, Ticketmaster can deliver you an NFT, a commemorative NFT, a ticket stub, a souvenir, a moment, you know, something that basically, you know, you know touches your attendance at that event, right? Like when I was a kid, I still have ticket stubs from my favorite concerts yeah. and, and favorite ball games. It, it's something that humans do. They collect and they like to collect things that um, basically prove or showcase that they were in attendance to some event or experience, right? So at a minimum, what the Ticketmaster relationship can do is it can deliver these souvenirs or commemorative NFTs to millions and tens of millions of people that attend concerts, people that attend uh, sports games or any other events that Ticketmaster is a part of. So what it's doing at a minimum is putting NFTs in the hands of millions and millions of users that would have never purchased an NFT or otherwise have had a reason to you know, uh, engage with a wallet or even experience Web3 as a technology. So we're we're delivering things that we know people love to them in moments where they're very much open to receiving them to users, people that would otherwise not ever engage with this technology. So th these are initiatives and strategies to open up the world or the mainstream to this technology in very seamless, um, interesting, compelling ways. 
We love it. Like I, I love it. And I think, um, I don't think the space gets fun and interesting until the masses kind of show up. And, um, when you, you're, when you're discussing what, what Dapper, this is why we're partnered and we love Dapper so much is because, um, you're bringing a lot of people into web three and, and through a very authentic and value adding way. Um, so when, when I think of getting a ticket and going to a concert and then getting an NFT as a kind of post conference of post, uh, event thing, it's yeah. really exciting. And like, um, also maybe this is a good kind of, um, segue to, to, uh, you know, you can list that on Instagram, uh, or Twitter, um, because you, you know, now fl flows integrated into so various social media platforms. Um, what, how did that come to be? Like, um, is, is it, um, it's a really exciting piece to be able to connect to Instagram and that type of thing. Um, do, do, is it as a, on your eyes, is it, is it as a, a big inflection piece moment? Is, is it the big exciting thing that I think it is, or um, am, I, am I off on that? I mean, it, all of this is exciting, right? Like, you know, Instagram to want to allow users to seamlessly incorporate NFTs into their posts or into their profiles um, is a huge step forward to unlocking a mass market audience. I mean, these, these huge Web2 social platforms is where everyone spends their time. And the more you can engage those people on when they're spending their time with this technology, the quicker it's going to be adopted. And I think, you know, the Web3 is a very, it's like an open canvas. It's a very creative space. We've mm -hmm. seen tremendous creativity. And you could start to see a network effect happening if you can get the masses interested in this technology and touching this technology. The more people experience, you know, the hundreds of millions of Instagram users experience NFTs and start to understand the benefits of NFTs, the more you're going to unlock the creativity of that creator cohort. And that creator cohort is going to be the ones that build the most interesting, either, you know, grassroots IPs uh, on the blockchain or the ones that come in and start um, figuring out content composability, right? So, it, it, these are all steps in the right direction to, you know, attract millions and millions of users, millions and millions of creators. So in, in that way, it, it's very, very exciting. Awesome. And like, we're trying to do that with the brands, right? We, we think that a way we can help bring a lot of people into the space is by helping consumer brands get their customers to adopt this and by making it really easy and enjoyable and, and delightful to the customers. Um, I think there's a lot of companies out there actually that are thinking about this correctly. And, and I, I, I get excited about, you know, what happens when there's a lot of people engaging with this technology. Um, and, and I think we're on a path there. Um, maybe just in, in closing, um, Mickey, what, what are you the most excited about? Like uh, uh, of what this technology can lead to be and, and, and where this goes? Um, uh, two things. Um, one, it, we talked about uh, the open sourcing of IP, the composable nature of smart contracts, allowing the world of creators to build on top of existing IP in the Web3 space. I also think... Um, I think a wallet address has the chance to become the new online identity.
So privacy has been a hot topic for years now, online privacy. A wallet address can be a, a way to obscure your actual identity, but also have a um, anonymous identity online, right? A wallet address can tell you more about a person anonymously than knowing that what my name is, what my birth date is, and where I live, right? So Facebook leaned into this a little bit with brand pages, uh, celebrity pages, pages, likes, right? If, if I'm a person and I like a band on Facebook, that tells you something about me. Yeah. And it builds up that data set. But a like is just a really low level lift for a consumer to do, right? Like if I, if I go and like a band, I might've been coerced into it. I may have been an accident or yeah. I just had a moment, right? It doesn't really tell you that much. But if I have a wallet address and I have uh, 17 LeBron James moments in my wallet address, I've spent money there. I've went out and I've spent effort and money to collect these things. Um, I think it's pretty obvious and certain that I'm a LeBron James fan, right? And then if I if I have a LeBron James, 17 LeBron James moments, and then I've gone to six Lady Gaga concerts through the Ticketmaster integration, these things all exist in this wallet address. I now know wallet address one, two, three, four, five is a LeBron James fan, a Lady Gaga fan, that tells me a lot about that person. And now I'm starting to build this identity of who this person is without having to know where I live, what my name is, what my age is, et cetera. I think it's absolutely right. Um, the bridge from here to there is just how easy it is for people to hold these wallet addresses and be able to do the things you're talking about. Yeah. But there's you, no have have, you have to have millions, tens of millions of users that yeah. have wallet addresses uh, for this to become a thing. That's right. But just like, you know, cryptocurrencies are like the true currency of the web um, mm -hmm. and like a true, it's like this is like identity was never going to be a Facebook thing, right? Like this is, the, the, it could have been maybe, right? But um, it, it feels more, it feels more appropriate for your identity to be in the ownership truly of yourself um, than of some other platform. Um, and I think that's what these wallet addresses and what blockchain can ultimately provide. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, I think our email signatures one day, uh, we're gonna have our wallet addresses or a reference to something that points to a wallet, ad a wallet address. Um, and uh, I'm excited for that. I, I agree, Mickey. This has been um, so great. And again, thank you for the work that you're doing at Dapper and, and what Dapper's doing to promote more, to bring more people into this space. Because I, I'm a big believer in that when more people show up, it's going to be a lot. A lot. There'll be way more for us to enjoy. Um, and, and you know, we, we see this with uh, everything Dapper's doing. More and more people are, are participating. Yeah, I mean, look, um, just to round it out, um, that is what we're doing. Everything we're doing is to bring mainstream audience to the blockchain. So one initiative you're going to see from us um, very, very soon uh, is this initiative called Walletless Onboarding, where the wallet and the wallet address happens completely in the background on Flow, where you can plug in Stripe or any payment 
or um, e-commerce flow into flow, allowing the user not to have to sign up for anything else, not to have to install a wallet, just come in and pay like your traditional e-commerce um, flow, pun intended, and, and, and able to buy an NFT without having to sign up for a new account, et cetera. And, um, and that, you know, that will exist in a flow account with a, with a web address. And when that user wants to sell trade or experience web three, um, as it's, you know, as it is meant to be experienced, we can lead that user down the path to do that. But we're continually to remove friction, trying to drive mass market adoption and the, the, the real unlock and in, in what walletless onboarding does is it allows blockchain and web three to go into mobile app store seamlessly. So if you can plug into Stripe or PayPal or your, your online uh, digital payment flow, that also means you can plug into mobile payment flows or uh, mobile APIs much more seamlessly. So creates a big unlock if this can actually um, exist on mobile and exist on mobile in the right way. Excited to see it. This is awesome. And um, it, it, it will lead to more people. It will lead to a lot more people participating and it benefits everybody. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see it, Mickey. And thanks again for joining. It's been a pleasure having you on and uh, excited to see you in, in person when, when I finally run into you. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Cool. Thanks so much.